The first week at your first job out of college is bound to be stressful. But just imagine if one of your first assignments sent you on a frightening journey towards the collapsing Twin Towers and back on September 11th, 2009. Welcome to Reporting on 9-11, where we hear the emotional, true stories of local journalists who brought us the news from the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and Shanksville, Pennsylvania, two decades ago. I'm your host, David DeRoche. In this episode, we hear from Amanda Farinacci. In September 2001, she was 21 years old and had just started working as a news assistant at New York One. You're watching New York One, which covered local news 24 hours a day on cable TV. Good afternoon, I'm John Schumo with the latest in the New York One Minute. Police are investigating. She was excited because September 11th was going to be the first day the station sent her out to cover stories on her own. But what she couldn't have known was the long journey that lay ahead. I remember that morning more clear than I remember most things in my life. I remember like waking up and getting on the scale. I remember how much I weighed. I remember everything I was wearing down to like the underwear, the shoes, the full outfit. I drove my car. I had a Ford Focus at the time. I drove my car into the city. I had to be in at 6 a.m. because it was primary day. My assignment that day was to record Mark Green voting. I'm Pat Kernan with the New York One Minute. It is primary day. Nearly 200 candidates are on various ballots around the city. The most notable citywide race is the Democratic battle for mayor. Recent polls have shown Mark Green and Fernando Ferrer in a dead heat. New York One will have coverage throughout the day and wall-to-wall coverage. Basically, if you're a news assistant at New York One, you are filming using, their, at the time, very big cameras, very large cameras. You do all the news gathering. You'll be assigned to a story. When you're there, you have to get video, you have to ask questions, and then you have to come back, and then you get another assignment and you do it again. Maybe 15 minutes after I got back, assignment editor comes over and says, oh, there's a fire in the Twin Towers, we need you to go. This is a live picture from our camera on the Empire State Building looking toward the World Trade Center. A three alarm fire and a report of an explosion somewhere in the World Trade Center. You can see the uh, plume of smoke from the top of one of the World Trade Center towers. And uh, this has just come into us word of this. I was uh, incident young the World and Trade Center I think I was 21 department. at the time. And it was like, oh, my God, fire. Like I was happy to be part of what I thought would, would have been like a big event, which I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean like, you know, as a news junkie, sometimes when there's breaking news, you want to be part of it. And I had that. I definitely had that sense. Amanda jumped into a car with a driver and another young news assistant named Shazia. Within minutes, they discovered that the fire they were headed towards was more serious than any of them could ever imagine. So we were driving down the West Side Highway. By now, um, A46 is the first plane into the towers. I think the second one was at 9.02. So we watched as the second plane hit the South Tower. And the man in the car, his name was Howie, he yelped and actually cried. Um, he just cried immediately and said, oh my goodness, this is not just a fire. This is crazy. You know, when you're in that moment, you don't really know what you're seeing, right? First of all, we thought we were going to film a fire. We're in the around the West Side Highway. We're just like looking up in the clear blue sky. And who even imagines that like you're going to see a plane fly over your head so low in lower Manhattan like that? And so when we parked the car, Shazi and I pulled our cameras out and we took like, a, you know, our school bags with an extra battery, all told the battery and the camera and the tripod, you're carrying like 60 pounds of gear. It was like, it was crazy. And then we both had like this debate about whether we should bring the tripod or not, like because we had been trained and we were so 
knew that both of us had the fear a little bit of having shaky video. And so we were saying to each other, like, are we going to get in trouble really if we, we don't bring the tripod? And then we both decided probably not a good idea to bring this really heavy piece of equipment that we need to lug around when we're in this crazy situation. So Shazi and I and Howie continued walking south and got as close as we could to the World Trade Center, which was now obviously chaos. It was chaos. Howie soon saw a man covered in dust who was having a heart attack. As he stopped to help, he got separated from Amanda and Shazia, who were now on their own. But following her instincts, Amanda continued to record. I remember looking up and pointing my camera up, and I could see people jumping out from the building. And that has stayed with me my whole life. When you see something like that, you can't fathom that the people who are doing that are not there's not like a rescue net at the bottom or a trampoline where they're going to fall to safety and be okay, right? Like, because this is the desperation of the people. And um, probably a part of me was in fight or flight where I was very detached from what I was seeing because I don't know that I would have been able to continue to survive and, and exist in that scenario. So we were continuing to film what we could. And then a police officer came and ran frantically and we had like, you know, pole horns and stuff and said, um, everybody needs to run because the buildings are coming down. The building's coming down. So Shazi and I at that point ran and got refuge from a bus depot. And it was like shock and craziness. And then we were told again to evacuate because we were too close to the buildings coming down and we ran more. At some point, I think we left our cameras at the bus depot. And we told the people there that we would come back and get them because we wanted to be able to run fast. And we called the assignment desk and mind you, like the cell phone service was crappy. And so it was very difficult to really make calls. We called the desk. We were like, we're running. We're fine. We're running. We left our cameras. <laughs> and the assignment editor we spoke with was like, um, yeah, you got to go back and get the cameras. Like you can't, you can't leave the cameras there. They're like $40,000 cameras. You got to go back and get them. So she and I had that moment of like, oh shit, now we have to go back. On a normal day, the trip back to the station would take a few minutes by car, bus, or the subway, but not on September 11th. Everything about the trip to safety was difficult, both mentally and physically. We walked so far and we rerouted a couple of times. I had like the heavy camera and the strap of the camera had like made these dig, you know, like in my shoulder because I kept trying to adjust, like walking. I don't know how, how far we walked, whatever the distance is from the World Trade Center to like 42nd Street. It was, it was, you know, it was a decent walk. The girl that I was with was hyperventilating the whole way back. And I remember saying to her like a mantra. I was, I had just discovered yoga at the time. And I was, <laughs> and I was telling her like, I'm okay. You're okay. We're okay. I'm okay. You're okay. We're okay. And made her repeat that on you know, keep continue on a loop. Like, I'm okay. You're okay. We're okay. I'm okay. We're okay. You're okay. Everyone's okay. We're okay. Right. We're okay. Um, but I would be lying if I said that we didn't have several times where we were walking back and just stopped and cried because it was so, um, it was so much, emo you know, it was just when you really stop and think about it, like all these people are down there and they're dying, but we weren't like war reporters, you know, we weren't, we were just, Kids. I want to explain what we're looking at here. This is a videotape that's just been delivered back to New York One here of one of our crews as they were first responding 
to the scene. So this is this is unedited videotape, and we're going to be looking at when these images. When we walked back into the newsroom, we were you know disheveled and and all gross and and everything else. We were just like zombies, like just didn't know what we saw, didn't know that it was very difficult to articulate. The man that we got separated from was in a fit of hysteria when we got back to the station because he thought he lost us. He thought he left us there to die. He didn't know how to get in touch with us. And he cried on the spot, like mass hysteria because he felt like he'd, you know, he was older and he felt like he'd been charged to take care of us. And then he left us and he thought, my God, what happened if something happened to you guys? While her journey back to the station was over, Amanda's career at New York One was just getting started. She'd been planning to work for a year or two and then go to law school. But now she knew her future was in journalism, helping amplify the voices of people who needed help. You know, there's all different ways that you can help people in your life or you can do something that makes you feel purposeful. And at that moment, I felt like this is what I need to be doing. Not to sound like the cliche of like, why could we become reporters or whatever? Like you're giving a voice to the voiceless or whatever. But inherently, my wish was always to be able to tell people's stories. For me, it was never really about my face on TV. On Staten Island, Amanda Farinacci, New York One. It was more about making sure that the good stories were told. I was always in it for the mission of the storytelling. And really, I viewed, and I still view, reporting as like a public service. You are working to spotlight something that people might not otherwise know. And you are giving people an opportunity to share something who might not otherwise have an opportunity. I didn't make a ton of money. I didn't, <laughs> um, I stayed in the same place for 20 years. And, you know, people said to me, why didn't you move on or whatever? You could have, but I've always taken a lot of pride in the idea that I was able to be a person who, especially for that 9-11 community, was a vessel for change. I've always taken a lot of pride in that. Amanda Farinacci continued to cover news at New York One for nearly 20 years before leaving the station in 2020. She now works as a press secretary for the New York City Fire Department, where she's still able to tell the stories of New York's bravest men and women. Thank you for listening to Reporting on 9-11. This episode was reported, written, edited, and produced by Ben Bogardis, a journalism professor at Quinnipiac University, and hosted by me, David DeRoche. I'm the director of community programming at Quinnipiac. Special thanks for this episode go out to Amanda Farinacci, the Liebner Cooper Foundation, and Broadcast Education Association for helping fund the series, Quinnipiac University's School of Communications, and the Quinnipiac University podcast studio where this episode was recorded. For more stories from journalists who covered 9-11, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And also be sure to check out other shows produced out of the Quinnipiac University podcast studio by going to quinnipiacpodcasts.com.